Welcome to Locarno Meets, where the most exciting new talent and established legends of cinema come to chat about art, life, movies, and everything in between. Brought to you by UBS and hosted by me, Alexander Miller, from Locarno Film Festival. Radu Jude is a Romanian filmmaker who isn't to everyone's taste. His last film was called Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn. It opened with unsimulated sex and ended with a superhero phantasmagoria that heavily lent on the use of dildos. In 2021, it won him the Golden Bear at the Berlin Film Festival and pushed him into the center of global cinema. It also annoyed a lot of his countrymen, who frankly found it crass. I thought it ruled. Jude's new film is a near three-hour experience called Do Not Expect Too Much from the End of the World. It focuses on Angela, an employee of a scummy production house forced to work long, killer days in her car as male drivers yell obscenities at her. But this is just one part of Radu's excellent film, which ultimately consists of a triptych of differing styles, and it leaps without warning into a montage documentary before finally settling into the most remarkable single-take scene of the year. Jude knows that his work is divisive, but let's face it, he loves that. I mean, more and more I feel that the rejection, I take it in the optimistical way, it's a part of acceptance. It's the first step of acceptance. <laughs> like in love, sometimes someone who rejects you the most, you fall in love with that person, or, she, or, she, or he falls in love with you sometimes, and it's... Works of art that I used to hate sure. at some point in my life, and then little by little, I tried. I, I started to accept them, and sometimes they became. Well, you tend I to think, think about them more often. Yeah, I remember. You know, I think at some point I went. It was two thousand and one, and I went to see a Godard film in a uh, new Godard film back then, uh, *Eloge de l'Amour* in, in cinema, and I was so pissed off by the film and considered it such a horrible piece of crap that I said, "I'm not gonna watch a new Godard film never in my life." And actually, 10, 11 years after, just by accident, I watched, uh, I don't know, one of his films. I was blown away. And then I watched another. And then little by little, Godard became probably the most important filmmaker for me. And then I watched again, I loved Olamour. And I found it brilliant. I'm not comparing myself with Godard. But I'm just saying that I, I don't understand. have a problem with people hating the, the films. I think, I, I think first, it's a very good feeling. To have, and I really think people should hate more. I'm, I'm, I'm not for for the calmness or for being kind. No, I think, I think it's nice to hate. It's it's a big pleasure to hate something. At least, as you know, anger uh, is an energy, right? Yeah, yeah. But, um, to, to, to be angry is something. It's the, the film itself kind of oscillates mostly between kind of two dual narratives. You've got the story of a kind of harassed production assistant who's never allowed to sleep by her horrible bosses, and a kind of de facto sequel to a film I'm going to admit I've never heard of before. Yeah, uh, it's, it's not, <laughs> called called not even Angela for Romanians. Okay, fine. Called Angela Moves On. And I'm interested to know which story came first. They were mutually arising like in Zen Buddhism, they say. <laughs> no, actually, the there were these two main stories, the story of the driver and the story of the worker who's tricked uh, by the company. It's, it's, it's very old story, very, very old real story that I was witness to in one way or another, or I knew about them. Is it, uh, is it true that you had to direct 
short films about workers who'd had yeah, like, exactly. Like, and I really had the situation in the film with someone who had an accident like that, very on the edge, with that barrier, which was hit really? by a car. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't invent that. Nobody could invent a situation like that. I think it's very difficult to find something which is such on the edge. So when did that happen to you? More than 15 years ago. The other story is the story of a, of a, of a production assistant. And I used to start as an assistant director and production assistant, the runner of doing all these underpaid and undervalued jobs on a film set. So I, st- I really started from the scratch, from, from, from nothing, from very down. Because we are always working extra hours or unpaid extra hours and extra weeks and extra weekends and extra everything. But to, to get back in the story, the first story is this driver that was a very young boy in the real story and, and he was forced to drive like that you know one more hour one more hour drink one more coffee drink one more red bull drink this drink that and tomorrow you have a rest and but he, he fell asleep and crashed and died you know and, and you know that's I mean, I, actually when i when i uh, heard of that i was already directing advertising and television for, for to make a living and uh, and when i heard that i refused to go on any shoot far from Bucharest where, 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 where I'm living and most of the crews are living if the production doesn't offer hotel for the whole crew for the night if it's more than I don't know 200 kilometers away or something like that and of course some accept it but most they know so these two stories stayed, stayed in my mind uh, for a while for, for many years and, and little by little followed me somehow or made me feel guilty in uh, different ways or made me but, but maybe also made me also consider that they are kind of symbolic they are kind of very uh they, they in these stories enter a kind of so many contradictions of the society that they become exemplary stories in a way so then i said well maybe i should tell these stories or maybe i should choose one but then i said why choose one why not tell both <laughs> and so how did you bring that in with the you know using the archive and manipulating the archive of yeah. well it's not a classic romanian film but a uh, an old romanian film Yes, it's it's not really totally unknown, and I think it's discovered by younger critics as a kind of proto-feminist Romanian film. <laughs> but actually, I, when I decided to change the gender of the driver into a woman, I, I looked for other road movies with women in Romania, and I couldn't find it, but only this film. So then, little by little, I said, what if I would incorporate that and, and make the film more complex in a way, make this description also like a kind of, uh, of essay about representation, how is a woman... It's the portrait of a woman in, in, in the contemporary society and in political freedom, that's important. And what is a, a, a portrait of a woman working as a driver in, in the communist Romania in, in a dictatorship, so with a lot of censorship. So and now you can compare the two sets of images. And and, uh, and I think it's also, you know, some sometimes I, maybe I use a word that, that you will laugh uh, at me. I think it's poetical, <laughs> you know, you know, I really think that putting this together, it's a kind of poetry, which is non-poetical poetry, so to speak. I think it's a very brutal and very rough kind of poetry because to make this gesture of putting together these things, which are very gratuitous gesture. Sure. It's not, you know, it, all, all advertising manuals tells you, well, you have to put things which are necessary. So someone would say, was it necessary to have that old film? Well, I said, no, of course not. You could take it out. But I think it, it, it creates a kind of poetical effect, which I wanted to have. It's interesting because when you watch them first, obviously the contemporaneous stuff looks bleaker and sadder compared to the stuff filmed in the 1980s. But then you manipulate that footage from the 1980s. You slow it down to a kind of ghostly crawl. I'd read somewhere that this is effectively you trying to 
point out little moments of aggression, poverty, sadness that kind of snuck past the senses yeah. back in the day. And, and they're very short. I mean, if you look them in the real, uh, at the normal speed of the film, then it's, you know, it's one second and it's gone. And There's it's an gone amazing one of a man looking with total disgust. Yeah, and yeah, rage yeah. With on his even face. a rage. Yeah. And, and I, yeah, yeah. That's that rage, you know, you may maybe then that the rage of the 1989 revolution. So you could feel it, you could see it. If you were a censor or if you were, you know, you would look at that image and slow it down and you would say, oh, something is going to happen, I think, if you, if you take cinema seriously, you know. Well, I mean, it's, and he's by far and away not the only male character to get angry at a car inside the film. I mean, the, you know, the image that you kind of build of what it's like to be a woman driving through those streets is it's pretty hellish. Yes, yes. But of course, uh, somebody asked me, is this portrait of Bucharest true? Or, and I say, well, you know, it's very difficult to, to, to assign this truth value, like, like in, in classical philosophy, to, to a film. But now, even using the common parlance, the common uh, language of that, I would say, yes, it's true, but it's, it's true because it's filtered by a camera and of an author of the film. So other people can make another type of film about Bucharest and the tourism office would make another kind of film. And uh, But you clearly are interested in this film about masculinity. There are multiple times where there seems to be a bit of an obsession about the death of famous people, you know, where there's Bourdain, there's Godard, there's Robert Louis Stevenson, there's Goethe, there's Salman Rushdie, even though he didn't actually die. That's weird. I didn't think of that. It's true. <laughs> okay. I think the only one which was supposed to, to be there, and because this film is also a film about the construction of images a little bit, then I, I wanted someone telling the story of the death of, of, uh, of the actor from Blow Up by Antonioni called uh, David Hemmings. And, and it's, it's exactly the way that the camera or assistant told it to us because he died on a sidewalk in Bucharest or something like that, shooting a film. And that guy said, oh, so it was this old guy. I don't know this David Hemmings guy who fell fall down. And so, so, you know, it, it was really a very violent way to tell the story of the death of a man. And, and you know, you, you, you could just think about how, how it's a very metaphysical feeling to say, yo, you're so famous. You're the guy from Blow Up and you die you know, on a sidewalk in Bucharest under this, the, the, the eyes of this guy who says, wake up, pups. What the fuck are you doing? Wake the fuck up. Wake the fuck up, you know? And the others, I don't know, they appeared because I, I let the film to be crossed by what happened around the death of Queen. I don't know who else is mentioned there. It's just because Godard, who just committed assisted suicide when we, when we shot. Uh, so, I, so I let the film to be, it's a lot about death of people. I don't, like, well, maybe, maybe I'm looking. It's an obsession a little bit. Fair enough. I mean, may maybe I'm looking too much into this as well, but I no, couldn't no. help notice that the film operates kind of, at least at the very start, very much in the kind of, in the shadow of two very famous English people who own Romanian estates, Andrew Tate and King Charles. <laughs> yes, it's uh, true. And I, I wondered if you were making a cultural comparison between the two. Oh, you ask me too, too much, and and it's a very mean question in a way because I actually I, I like King Charles in a way. I think he's funny, and I think he's I don't know how his politics is in. But he in loves Romania. He like he loves Romania. Yeah. Actually, he has he yeah. has a a, a villa, a, a small house in a village, and of course it's always it's very 
ridiculous, but also, you know, very moving to, to see this uh, naivete of some people in, in Romania. It's exactly, I put the mother of the main character to, to express exactly what you, what you hear when, when, when the queen died and he became king and people, and people immediately said, oh, so he will take care of Romania, you know, he's, he's someone who has a house here, he loves Romania, so now he will really be kind with us and give us a lot of things and, but about Andrew Tate, uh, it's funny because we shot in September last year. I don't think, did you knew or know about him back then or was it famous back then? Uh, yeah, but I've been working on a documentary about him for ages. So I've ah, known about him for a while. Okay. So maybe you can tell something to my kid who's here with me. He's 18 and he's kind of like him a lot. No way. Yeah. You gotta have a word. Really? I mean it. Yeah, shit. <laughs> I, because, because this, this is how I, I, I heard about like two years ago. My son said, oh, this, this guy is amazing. I want to be like him. Said, did you show your kid the film yet? Uh, I, I, he didn't want to go. And then this is how I found about Andrew Tate. And I asked Ilinka because, you know, Ilinka created this avatar as a toxic guy, uh, imbecile, uh, like three years ago. Really? Yes. I and did not know that. It didn't have any, any connection with Andrew Tate, basically. She didn't know who he was uh, back then. Like, like me, I didn't know. So I said, so, you know, it's really funny because everybody says, oh, that's modeled by, uh, on Andrew Tate. And actually it's not, but you know, I think it's, it's a kind of collective subconscious that created that. So why was she doing, when was she doing that? She, she, she did it uh, in the pandemic. She started to doing, uh, because she's a, she's an actress and she created that avatar to caricaturize this kind of idiot, this kind of, you know. I mean, it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. And I liked it so much. And, and then, you know, it, it was interesting to see that, uh, but that's of course very, very, very much connected to the world of culture, the world of theater as well. Many, many of theater critics or I don't know, this kind of people who were accusing her of being vulgar. And, you know, if you're a real actress, you don't, this kind of shit. It's good to know. be vulgar. Yeah, I love Someone's it. Someone's got to do it's, it. It's one of the few weapons that remains to, to piss people off. And it's an honest reflection of the world around us. Yeah, of, of course. But more than that, it's, it's still something in vulgarity in, in, that, 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 that sometimes aggresses some, some kind of people. And I like that a lot. Well, I Yet. mean, there's a, there's a very kind of refined vulgarity in the, in the last scene of the film where all the vulgarity is corporate vulgarity and it happens off screen. It's a, it's kind of a, it's a remarkable set piece. It goes on, I'm going to guess 25 minutes. Uh, no, it's uh, almost 40. Almost 40. Well, that's, I mean, there's one shot of one family with a few people moving in and out of screen. And I think that's what everyone will leave talking about it. Um, did you always know that that was going to be like that? When oh, you no, 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 not, not at all. And actually I cast a lot of actors uh, and I wanted to make a scene with a lot of choreography, you know, like to make a bravura scene. scene. And then I, I had the feeling that it's very lame to do it like that. And anyway, I couldn't make it. It felt like it's going to be very bad. And then I had this idea, what if I do it like inspired by one of my models in filmmaking, who's Andy Warhol as a filmmaker. Vinyl, it's like a 60 minutes film based on the Clockwork Orange before, before Kubrick. And yeah, it's much better out. than Kubrick. Oh, fair enough. And then he was shooting, you know, in this long takes because he was just loading the camera with 30 three minutes. Uh, it was a 16 millimeter Oricon camera with 33 minutes rolls. And the moment it would start rolling, he would, he will never stop it. And that was the film basically, or half of the film. So how many takes do you do? 
uh, I did one rehearsal in one day. The next day I did two takes and I kept one half from the first. And I knew in the weather report that next day might rain. This is what I was going to ask. And <laughs> I said, okay, let's do one tomorrow, uh, hoping that it might rain. And we captured exactly the, the only moment that it rained. It's completely perfect. Yeah, yeah. So then I said, which should I uh, choose? And then I didn't want people to say, oh, it's a bravura piece of 30 minutes or I don't know, 40 minutes. So I, 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 I there is a cut there in, in the middle, but you, you might not, not I don't notice think it. I noticed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And then when's the film going to be released in Austria? I, I think, uh, well, I am not allowed to say, but I, I, probably it will be in a festival in, in, in the autumn. And then I don't know if it will be released. <laughs> because it's got an interesting antagonistic uh, relationship with, with the Austrians. And of course, Nina Hess is in it, which is amazing. Yeah. I, actually, it's funny because uh, there's a lot of anti-Austrian resentment in Romania, which happens immediately after the shoot, because Austria opposed Romania getting into the Schengen space. Because you know how it is in this kind of European decisions it has to be unanimous yes and, uh, and and actually it was based on nothing they just just rejected it uh, like that so it was all of a sudden everybody said oh fucking Austrians and and then when I showed the, the films well, this happened I saw I know in December but I shot in September they showed some people the film and said, oh, you, 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 you took this you summed Austrian up. thing but now I said well no it was before I mean one of my favorite scenes in the whole film is the zoom call which is completely amazing and has the best executive note uh, that I've uh, ever heard when the executive comes in and just says, I have one word for you, emotion. Emotion, And yeah. leaves. Um, that's, that's that's happened to me, you know, we were there. We yeah, you cannot invent. I mean, I don't think I could invent that. We we're doing a commercial for a famous uh, mobile phone um, telecom company and we were discussing there and the guy just opened the door and said well, where's my director i said here i'm glad to and i said i have one word for you emotion and then he went out <laughs> and felt so his uh, <laughs> second in command so to speak his assistant said oh this means he wants close-ups <laughs> oh, okay <It's laughs> look i think we're, we're we're done for time but um I think it's a really exciting film. I discovered you like a lot of other people with your last movie, Bad Luck Banging, which I also think is a fantastic piece. And I'm Thank interested you. to see how this goes out in the rest of the world. Well, let's see. You know, if it's good, it's good. If it's not good, it's good as well. All right. Cheers. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks again to Radu. This has been Locarno Meets, a podcast from Locarno Film Festival brought to you by UBS. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your pods. This has been a true anti-classic production, hosted by me, Alexander Miller, and produced by Jack Boswell. <laughs>